great privilege for me to be able to be with you this weekend. Really appreciated uh, being here yesterday um, for the missions afternoon. When I arrived on the train, I saw there was a lot of people heading to a certain rugby match, and uh, I was just pleased it wasn't England playing, because I wonder if you would have welcomed me to the pulpit this morning. Um, I didn't mention, of course, to my Australian friend, Glenn, anything about the England rugby match yesterday, but uh, that's dangerous. Glenn's on the PowerPoint for me today, so. But um, I should apologize. I understand that uh, there was a referee, an English referee, yesterday for the Scotland match, and I apologize if anything didn't go well because of him. Um, But ever since I have been uh, in the UK, I've heard about Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh. Of course, uh, from colleagues uh, serving in our home office in OMUK. Uh, we just heard from uh, uh, Glenn and Fiona Lever, who served with us. Then there's Kevin and Fiona Boyce, who also have served with OM for many years and are, are fulfilling key roles with us in our team in the UK. And then, of course, Ivan and his wife, Joanne, uh, who are also serving with us. And then there's Anna. Anna Crawford, Crawford and family who have been very involved with others of you uh, serving in Moldova in the last couple of years. So I really feel there's a, a real link with the church and I'm really thankful uh, to be able to be with you and to share with you, but also to thank you for the partnership in the gospel um, that we have and enjoy together. Now we've read from Mark chapter 6. And just as we open God's word together, uh, uh, just allow me to lead us in prayer. Father God, we do thank you that we can meet here in this place and we can worship you. We can lift our voices and praise you for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. And Lord, as we come now and open your word, it's incredible, Lord, to think, Do you really want to speak to us through your word? Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Help us, Lord, to hear what you want us to hear. May we not just hear, may we meet with you in your word this morning, I pray, Lord Jesus. That your name would be honored and glorified, that we would be able to concentrate for these next moments together. And we pray in the precious and powerful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So yesterday, we, uh, those of us who were here, were considering what God is doing in the world. We heard some wonderful testimonies from Moldova, from Latvia, from India, uh, from Southeast Asia, of how members of your church have been involved in global mission work just in the last year or so. It was ever so encouraging, and it reminded me a little bit of the text that we're looking at this morning. You see, I've chosen this text in Mark chapter 6, and we read in verse 30 that the apostles gathered around Jesus, they reported to him all that they had done and taught, a little bit like what some of us did yesterday, reporting back and encouraging each other about how the gospel is going out around the world. The problem for the disciples was that as they gathered around Jesus, 
they had been sent out just earlier in chapter 6, and they'd gone out two by two. They'd been going from village to village, uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, healing the sick, seeing incredible demonstration of God's power through them. And as they came back to Jesus, Jesus looked at them after they'd finished their mission trip, and he saw that they were tired. He saw that they needed to have a break. And so Jesus says these words to them in verse 31, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus looked at his friends and he recognized their need. He recognized that they were tired. It says here they'd been so busy that they hadn't even had time to eat. So they weren't just tired, but they were hungry as well. And Jesus, recognizing their need, gives them this invitation to come. And as I reflect on that, I wonder if we should just pause a little bit this morning. And may I ask you, have you received the invitation from Jesus to come? Here he says, come and get some rest. In other places, we have this wonderful invitation, all those who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus says, come to me. I wonder if there is someone, I wonder if there are people in the congregation this morning who are feeling burdened and weary. Maybe you're feeling tired this morning. Maybe there are things happening in your life and you just don't really know where to turn. You pray to a God who maybe you don't know, is he really there? I wonder if these words that Jesus spoke to his friends 2,000 years ago, that he's wanting to speak to some of us specifically this morning. An invitation to come, to find rest, to spend quality time with the Lord every day. Do we as Christians do that? How important is the word of God for us when we get up in the morning is it God's word or is it social media is it the TV our latest serial or our latest program or are we as Christians committed to spend quality time with the Lord maybe that that word is for many of us today Jesus saying come and spend quality time with me you need to have rest we as Christians if we want to walk closely with the Lord Jesus, we need to spend quality time with him. And so that's what Jesus said to his friends all those years ago. Seeing their situation, he said, come, let's get in a boat and let's go across the lake or the small sea and let's have a picnic together. We, we read later on, it was a spring day, the grass was green. And so Jesus and his disciples on this beautiful day get into the boat and they head off across the lake. And it must have been wonderful. That's just what they needed. Jesus and his friends, just alone. Can you imagine just being alone with him and sitting back and smiling and enjoying his presence? It's, it's wonderful as a follower of Jesus being with him in the boat. It's wonderful to invite Jesus <laughs> into the boat and accept his invitation to come into the boat and to be with him. Again, maybe I should just pause and say, 
are you in the boat with Jesus? Have you accepted that invitation? Most of us who are followers of Jesus will will know how wonderful it is to experience his love, his forgiveness, his acceptance. He cares for us. He provides for us. He protects us. He leads us. He invites us to be with him. That's what we've been doing this morning, singing, sing, singing hymns of, of worship and praying to him and meeting with other friends of Jesus. It's wonderful to be with him and to say, Lord, would you bless me? Would you help me? Would you provide for me? Would your face shine upon me, Lord? After all, I'm at the center of the universe. And of course, that's not the full picture. Because whilst it's wonderful to be with Jesus in the boat, and the disciples were in the boat with Jesus on that morning, the problem was that a couple of the disciples looked outside the boat and they saw on the banks of the lake, to the left and to the right, something was happening. What is that? It looks like the trees are moving. You know what it is? It's the people. It's the crowds of people that we'd been ministering to back there and we thought we were heading out to a quiet place where we'd just be with Jesus and yet the crowds are following us. They're coming this side and this side and they're waiting for us. And Jesus and his disciples, they look and they see the crowds of people. I wonder when the disciples looked in Jesus' eyes, if they saw that look of compassion that we read about that they had seen so many times. Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when I think of that word compassion, I mentioned to you uh, as we raised our family in Moldova, we were blessed with five children. And I remember when our three girls, we have three girls and then two boys, and there were three girls and we had a newborn baby. And all the kids, they were, the oldest was five, three, two, and then the newborn. And, and I can remember one day coming down from our little apartment that we had and coming down into the garden, this walled garden that we, that we, uh, where we lived. And one morning as I went down, I saw that someone had thrown a sack over the wall and in the middle of the grass there was this sack and the thing was, it was moving. And I can remember with my five-year-old daughter approaching this sack. She was a lot more bold than I was. We opened together, and inside there were four tiny newborn kittens. And they looked ugly and horrible. They were full of fleas. And I pushed the sack away, and my five-year-old daughter took the sack, and she said a Moldovan word, which is Sarako. Oh, poor little things. And then she turned to me, and you know what she said. Oh, Daddy. Daddy, please. Please, can we keep them? God has provided. Please, can we keep them? And we adopted two little kittens and looked after them, and my girls raised them. Um, and we blessed some friends with the other two. 
But you know, a few months later, I was coming out of our apartment, going down the steps, and I saw a box on the grass in the middle of our yard. And I remember thinking, whatever's in that box, I've got to sort it out before my daughter sees. <laughs> but just as I approached the box, little Hannah came down the steps, Daddy, Daddy, what is it? And we opened the box together, and there were three tiny little puppies. It seems that local, the local folks, they thought they were good Christian missionaries. They'll look after any of our animals that we don't want. My daughter looked at these puppies and said, oh, daddy, she had compassion on them. Look, oh, daddy, please, please, can we keep them? I promise I'll look after them. Well, we kept one, and we blessed some friends with the other two. <laughs> My daughter had compassion on these little animals. Then she started praying for a horse. <laughs> and you would not believe, no, that didn't. So we learned a little bit from our children about having compassion on small animals. But you know the word that is used here in scripture to describe the compassion that Jesus felt for the, for the crowds. It's a far deeper and more profound word than just, oh, poor little things. Uh, Jesus' compassion, it, it means literally he felt deep within his stomach a feeling. His stomach turned over when he saw the crowds that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus' compassion moved him to action. It wasn't just a passive, oh, poor little things, but a deep, profound feeling, wanting to make a difference in the lives of those people. Now, as we look at the world, you know, Jesus looked at the crowds. When we look at the world today, when you look at the world today, what do you see? We look at these extraordinary, we're confronted with these extraordinary headlines, aren't we? All the time. Horrendous things that are happening in our world. Just this last week, we saw pictures of children from Yemen who, because of the civil war, are starving to death, malnourished. I don't know if you saw that BBC report. Horrendous situation for not hundreds, but thousands, tens of thousands of people created in the image of God who are suffering, who are dying because of a lack of food. And then the week before, we saw TV reports from Syria. I just remember this picture after a bomb had hit near a school and these children were running, were fleeing. And they interviewed a man whose children had been in the school and who had escaped, but the mother had been killed and a newborn baby very, very seriously injured. And the week before that, we saw video clips and reports from the Myanmar-Bangladesh border. There are Hangi refugees who are fleeing ethnic cleansing. 600,000 people fleeing Myanmar. And they're trying to get into Bangladesh for safety. Bangladesh itself that has been hit by floods and, and terrible difficulties. 300,000 of those refugees are children. Incredible suffering in our world. And the week before that, we saw video clips from Syria, 
about Syrian and Afghan refugees living in disused factories in Serbia, trying to get into Europe, living in horrendous conditions. Daily, we're confronted with these images, aren't we? And as Christians, how, how should we respond? We're in the boat with Jesus. We're looking outside and we see the crowds of people. We recognize the needs. Yesterday I was sharing statistics. Seven and a half billion people living in our world. Two billion of them have never heard of Jesus. Two billion are unreached. They live in an area, in a community where there is no gospel witness. They don't know any Christians. That's 28% of the population of our planet who do not have access to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are still more than 6,000 unreached people groups in our world. And this is the 21st century, when it's never been easier to travel, it's never been easier to communicate. And yet still, 28% of the population do not have access to the gospel. And the number of people who are added to those who have never heard of Jesus, it's 57,000 people are added every single day to the number of the unreached. We are safe in the boat with Jesus. We're looking out. What is our reaction when we see the crowds? When Helen and I first moved to Moldova, we lived in a town called Nisporen, and we were involved in a church plant there for a couple of years. Uh, 17,000 people in this small town, 47,000 in the region, and there was just a handful of believers and we lived there and we tried to teach and preach and share the gospel and it wasn't always easy. But it was especially difficult seeing the conditions that people were living in. I remember once visiting a lady, Rhea. And Rhea had been bringing her two small children uh, to the church which we were trying to, trying to lead. Uh, the kids were coming along to the Sunday school that my wife was leading and we wanted to encourage Rhea and so we, we found out where she lived and we went on a Saturday evening to visit her. We wanted to pray with her and just encourage her and her kids. And we arrived at this house, this, you could barely call it a house, it was a, a hut that was falling apart. Just two simple rooms made of wood, no electricity, no heat, no running water, and it was a cold evening and we went into this room and on this makeshift table, there was a little homemade beeswax candle, giving some light, some heat to the, to the family. And there was Rhea and her mother and two children sitting on this makeshift bed. And we thought, how can we encourage these people? We tried to share with her, encourage her to keep coming along to the church. As we were leaving, I looked in the adjacent room and I saw that a lot of the wood had been ripped up and they were... I asked, are you doing repairs? What's happening here? And Rhea was very embarrassed. But she told me, actually, two weeks ago, my father died. And we didn't have any money to pay the priest, and we didn't have any money to buy a coffin. So we took the floorboards up from our house, and we built a coffin, and we buried my father. 
And I can remember going back to our little apartment and together with my wife getting on our knees, saying, Lord, what, what can we do? What can we do to meet the needs of Rhea and her family? And we recognize she's one of hundreds, one of thousands, one of millions who need the good news of Jesus and the expression, the demonstration of God's love, God's provision in their lives. And I'm sure just in our hearts, we heard the Lord say to us that evening, do you see? Do you see the needs? Jesus said this, didn't he? Open your eyes and see. Recognize the needs. Recognize the needs of those who are outside the boat. The crowds of people who are waiting. The, Jesus saw the, the crowds and had compassion. The disciples also saw the crowds. Of course they saw. They recognized the needs. After they landed and Jesus preached to the crowds, the disciples came to Jesus and verses 35 and 36 they give Jesus some good advice. They say, hey, Jesus, look, there's a big crowd here. There's, there's at least 5,000 men, and there's women, children. There's a huge crowd, and they're getting hungry. The disciples, of course, are hungry themselves, but the, the crowds are hungry, Jesus. Uh, you should send them away so that they can get something to eat. It's getting late. It could be dangerous for the kids to walk home on their own. Uh, send the crowds away, Jesus. We care for them. We don't want them to be hungry. We want them to be safe. So we advise Jesus and tell him what he should do. I wonder if that reflects sometimes our prayers. Lord, we see the needs on TV. We see and hear of these terrible situations around the world. Please would you help? Lord, please would you provide for those Yemeni children? Lord, please would you have mercy on the Rohingya refugees? Lord, please, would you send missions and mission agencies to work amongst them? Lord, please, as we recognize the needs in our city, would you send our pastor out to preach the good news? Lord, would you raise up our youth leaders and others to share Jesus with those in our community? We're good at advising Jesus. Lord, it would be really good if you could do this. Lord, here am I. Send my sister. Lord, here am I. I recognize the needs, and I think it would be good if you did something about them, Lord. And Jesus turns to his friends in verse 37, and I think this is very much the key verse. He turns to his friends as Philip and the other disciples, and he says, Hey, Philip, why don't you give them something to eat? You recognize their needs. You're touched with compassion. I, it doesn't actually say it in the original language, but I think Jesus smiled when he said this. Hey, Philip, it's good that you see the needs of the crowd. Now you feed them. You do something for them. As I think about this, I just think about the teaching of the whole of Scripture. Why is it that we are involved or believe we should be involved in mission work? You know, it's not just because Jesus said in the New Testament, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, the, the calling that we have to be involved in mission begins at the beginning in Genesis, in the creation. God created human beings in his image and desired to live in a relationship with them. The, the problem was that that relationship was broken 
as Adam and Eve turned their back upon God. Said, we don't want you, God. We don't want to live in relationship. We don't want to follow your rules. And of course, we see throughout Scripture that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. All people everywhere separated from the love of God because of our sin. But of course, we know that the teaching in the Bible is that God had a plan. And God's plan of redemption is to choose people to fulfill his purposes. He chooses Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations. And from Abraham, of course, we have Isaac, Jacob, and the nation of Israel, a chosen people, a nation of priests, to fulfill the purposes of God. And yet we read in the Old Testament how the nation of Israel reject God. They say, we want a king to rule over us. We don't want God. We want to be like other nations. And so finally, God sends his one and only son. His plan for the redemption of the world, his plan for saving me and you, his son, the Lord Jesus, come to restore that relationship with God. But of course, people rejected Jesus. He died on a cross and he took our sins. He died for me. He died for you. This is God's plan. He rose again. He's victorious. And he says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's very clear. Throughout Scripture, God calls people to fulfill his purposes, sends out people to fulfill his purposes. This is the biblical mandate we have to be involved in mission work. God's plan from the beginning to live in relationship with his creation and to work through people to fulfill his purposes. And that's what Jesus says here. You do something. Philip, friends, you feed them. But then the disciples start to make excuses. Lord, are you, are you sure? You know, we've done a little calculation here and, and it would cost eight months of a man's wages to, to feed this many people. Are you sure we, could, we should blow the whole mission's budget just on this one meal? Is this the best stewardship of funds? Lord, it would just be too expensive. I can't feed the poor. I can't go to Moldova on a short-term mission trip. I can't preach to people in Southeast Asia through business projects. I can't teach I can't preach. I can't heal the sick. I can't reach out to young people and drug addicts in our city. I can't share the gospel with my neighbors and friends. They might reject me. I can't educate children in India. I can't go as a missionary somewhere. It would cost me too much. That's basically what the disciples were saying. Lord, it would cost too much. I can't serve you. There's nothing I have to offer. 
Just a little while ago, I was talking with the leader of our work, OM's work in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa. And Melvin from Zambia, who's our uh, area leader, overseeing extraordinary work. The, the vision in the next 10 years to see 5,000 workers raised up, reaching into, th into 350 unreached communities in that whole area of sub-Saharan Africa. But it's difficult. And Melvin said to me, Matthew, I just received a phone call from friends in one of the northern countries, and they're there serving faithfully amongst an unreached people group, and their lives are in danger. And they said to me on the phone, Melvin, we think we're going to be killed because of our testimony to the Lord Jesus. We want you to promise us something. Melvin, promise us that if we are killed, that you will send others to take our place. I think of the words of the disciples saying it would cost too much. I think of the excuses we sometimes say, it would cost me too much. And I think of our colleagues serving in those sort of situations. We may lose our lives, but please send others to continue the work of the gospel. How will they hear of Jesus if they don't have the opportunity of meeting a Christian? If they don't have the opportunity of having the scriptures in their own language? The Apostle Paul writes this, and I'm struggling to see with my, <laughs> with my eyes. I'll turn around. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? How will they hear if no one goes to tell them? Yesterday we talked briefly from the, the words in Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This is one of the challenges. It was a challenge 2,000 years ago. A lack of gospel workers. And it's one of the challenges that we face, perhaps the main challenge that we face today. So many people who haven't had the opportunity of hearing of Jesus, but so few who are recognizing those outside the boat and who are willing to go. It really is a privilege for me to serve with those who are sent out from Charlotte Chapel. It was so special to see the teams the last two years go from your church to Moldova and to see what God has, God has done through them in the ministry there, but also in their lives, hearing something of their testimonies yesterday. The privilege of working alongside the Nieras and the, the Levers, seeing how God is working through the voices, Kevin and Fiona. God is working through your church, through our brothers and sisters that I've mentioned, reaching the nations with the gospel. But still, there are so many needs. Think of just recently a conversation with our leaders there in Nepal, saying we need people who are willing to come, who are willing to trek through the Himalayas, with a backpack full of Christian literature, going to villages that have never heard the gospel. We need people to be willing to go to Nepal, the Africa Trek program, going to remote areas and sharing the good news of Jesus and demonstrating the love of Christ through relief and development projects. Workers on the Logos Hope, traveling through the Caribbean, it's a hard life, but actually in God's providence, they're in the Caribbean just after the um, the hurricane hit, helping provide relief 
and sharing God's love with those on the island of Barbados and some of those other islands that are affected. Friends, there are so many outside the boat. The crowds are waiting. Who will see them? Who will feed them? Who is willing to go and to share the good news of Jesus with them? Oh, I couldn't possibly go. I'll pray. I'll give some change. I'll write a check. But I could never go. It would cost me too much. This evening, I hope to be sharing a little bit more about how God can use each of us to make a difference in the world. God calls and uses ordinary people to make a difference in the world. We'll be talking a little bit about that this evening. Um, But as we close this morning, we come to verse 38. Jesus says, don't tell me what you don't have. Don't tell me what you can't do. Uh, Philip, what do you have? And Philip goes and with the disciples and they count, we have five loaves of bread, we have two fish. And then Jesus says, bring them to me. He doesn't tell Philip, give them straight to the people. He says, bring what you have to me. And Jesus takes that small offering, that irrelevant offering in the eyes of a crowd of 5,000 people, but he takes what the disciples offer and he prays and gives thanks. And Jesus doesn't give it to the disciples. Jesus, or he doesn't give it to the crowds. Jesus gives it back to the disciples. And it's then that the miracle occurs. And the disciples receive from Jesus and they go out and they give and they give and they give and everyone is fed. And there's 12 basketfuls left over, which I think is quite relevant, isn't it? 12 disciples, they were tired. They were hungry at the beginning of the day. And now they've served Jesus. They've served the people. And 12 basketfuls are left over and they sit back on the green grass and their stomachs are full and their hearts are full because there's nothing better than being with Jesus and serving him by serving the people. And I'll finish with a story as as Ivan was leading us in worship. Ivan and I had a time, an opportunity to go and visit a refugee camp in Serbia at the beginning of this year. And we met there different um, Afghan and Syrian and Yazidi Iranian refugees. Tried to just demonstrate the love of Christ, serving hot cups of tea and, and sharing something of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. It was quite difficult, very, very cold. And these refugees living in tents where the heating was turned on and off, about minus 10 degrees. And every morning we, we would serve them a hot cup of tea and hundreds would line up and I was passing the tea and trying to put a smile on my face and be you know a Christian witness and I said to one guy here you are how did you sleep and the guy in the back of that picture he turned to me and he said I didn't sleep I never sleep and he took the key uh, the tea and he walked off and I felt terrible and I thought oh what, what have I done wrong Lord, give me an opportunity just to share with him, to talk with him a bit later. And I did chat with him later in the day. And Abdullah was very open then to tell me his story. He said, I grew up in Afghanistan. I studied in Pakistan, became a biochemist. 
and was working there and I was engaged or I was, I was married to a, a young lady in Afghanistan and as I was working in Pakistan, I received a letter from the Afghan Taliban saying we are going to kill you because we believe you're working with the Americans. He said, what could I do? He said, I went back and I talked with my wife and we decided the best thing would be to flee to Europe. But we decided it was too difficult so I would go on my own and then I'd invite her to join me. So he said, I set off. And for 10 months, I traveled across into Iran and I walked through Turkey and I had to decide, do I risk my life on the boats to Greece or do I go through the mountains of Bulgaria? I went through the mountains. Finally, I got into southern Europe. And there my uncle near Stuttgart and I, I worked with him in an auto repair shop. And my wife kept asking, when are you coming? When, when are you going to invite me? When can I come? When will the paperwork be ready? He said, we were waiting and waiting, and then it got to February, and it was my birthday, my 30th birthday, and my uncle threw a party, and I'd spoken to my wife in the, in the morning, and she had wished me happy birthday, and we were celebrating that evening, and one of my friends came in, and he had a phone, and he had tears in his eyes, and he didn't want to tell me what had happened. And then Abdullah said that the news had come through that there had been a bomb blast in our family home, and my wife had been killed, and he listed uncles and aunts and nephews and nieces who had been killed in this bomb blast. And through his tears, he said, what can I do? I went up to Berlin. I got myself arrested and deported. And I went back to Afghanistan. And I took care of business. And then he said, I had nothing. No hope, no future. And so I decided to set out again. And I traveled again through Iran and Turkey and again through Bulgaria and I got caught by the police and beaten badly and they've taken me to Serbia and I'm in this camp and you asked me if I slept? I didn't sleep. I never sleep. Who is going to share the good news of Jesus with Abdullah and two million others who have entered our continent just in the last two years. Is God calling us this morning afresh to give thanks that we are in the boat with Jesus, but also to look outside the boat, to recognize that there are crowds and crowds of people who have never heard of Jesus. They don't know how wonderful it is to be in the boat. They don't know that the only way to get into the boat is through Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Is God calling us to recognize afresh this morning that we are blessed? But we as Christians are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Jesus looked at the crowds. He had compassion on them. And he said, you feed them. You do something. May God help us to be faithful to the calling that he's placed in our lives. Amen.